Our dog Mila is family, and keeping her safe, happy, and secure, it's important. That's why Halo Collar is the only one we use. Halo is the only smart system with a collar that trains and protects your dog, so they can run free, safely. The other day, our back gate blew open, but because we have a Halo fence around the whole property, Mila was safe even with cars speeding out front. Honestly, that was a relief. It was. Halo does a lot, and there's a 90-second video at shophalocollar.com myths that'll show you what we mean. Take advantage of this special, limited-time introductory offer today. Save 20% on your Halo Collar by going to shophalocollar.com myths. That's shophalocollar.com myths to save 20%. You must go to this site to get this offer, and it can only be gotten here. ShopHaloCollar.com slash myths. This week on Myths and Legends, there are tales from Denmark and Iceland. And you'll see how that troll offering you a job might be a murderous forest giant, but they offer a generous compensation package and really prioritize work-life balance. So, I don't know, maybe hear them out. On the second, you'll see why you should leave that magical bearded guy at the beach who's not wearing pants alone. Or at least don't throw a net over him. The creature this week is a rock monster with a heart of gold. Like, actually gold because he's a chunk of rocks and precious metals, but he's actually really evil. This is Myths and Legends, episode 234, Trolling. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, there are two stories from up north. The first is a Danish tale of a kid who gets a job working for a troll. Troll looked the kid over. Well, hello there. The kid nodded. Hi, how's it going? Did the large, usually malign mythological creature happen to have any food? Because he could really use some food. The troll didn't answer the question, but instead stroked his chin and pointed. Fairy tale child. Fairy tale child who left your family to find your fortune. And how are things going for you? On your fairy tale quest, the troll asked. Obviously, you know, trolling the young man. The kid gestured to his threadbare clothes and said he was asking dangerous mythological creatures for food while by himself in the forest. So, you know, not great. The troll laughed, saying that dangerous creature, dangerous as a relative, which is not what you want to hear from the wall of green and blue muscle in front of you. The troll said he was only dangerous if someone didn't know how to obey. The young man shirked away, but the troll laughed again. Oh, come on. He wasn't going to hurt the kid. He was offering the kid a job. If the kid wanted luxuries like food and shelter, he could come work for the troll. The troll was looking for a lad like the kid, and if the kid did everything the troll asked of him, then he would give the kid two actual bushels of gold at the end of the first year, two bushels of gold at the end of the second year, and two bushels of gold at the end of the third year. The kid was hesitant, and the troll shrugged, or he could just leave the kid here to starve in the forest. No pressure. The kid, not being in the place to understand the nature of coercion, and the troll, very much being pro-coercion, struck a deal, 
where the kid would work for the creature for three years. The troll told the kid, his new employee, to follow him, and soon they were at a clearing in which a large log house loomed, and the troll opened the door for the kid, revealing a table full of food. The kid dove in and devoured the dinner, and when he couldn't possibly eat any more, the troll showed him to his room in the mansion. The next morning, the kid stood outside, bright and early, ready to start his first day of work. The troll grinned. Now, the youth had to feed every creature in the forest. The kid shrugged and laid down. Welp, here we go. At least he got a good meal and a night's sleep. This is what he got for working for a troll. The troll just stood there. What was the kid doing? The kid said he was waiting for all the animals of the forest to devour him. That's what the troll meant, right? The troll said, no, wow. And that's how you respond to that? He held out a bucket. The kid needed to feed all the animals of the forest. Sorry if that came out all ominous. No, just get up. Follow me. The kid did and found behind the house, like the biggest, most random pet store. The squirrels and mice and rabbits and such were all in a big pen. The wolves and bears were in separate kennels. Snakes, ferrets, foxes. The troll had corralled all the animals of the forest and was keeping them behind his house. Oh, the youth said. As he took the bucket, he said he honestly expected the troll to just try to eat him, Hansel and Gretel style, not to actually want him to work. That's a little prejudiced, the troll said. The kid shrugged. When he left home to find his fortune and didn't meet with, like, wizards or dwarves or something, he kind of wondered how much survivor bias played into the whole thing. Like, how many kids never make it and you just don't hear about it? The troll looked from side to side. Are we, like, ripping off an SMBC comic right now? The troll asked. Well, now we're referencing it, the kid replied. Check out the show notes. The troll pressed the shovel into the kid's other hand. All right, enough talk. Get to work. The kid did, and it was tedious, menial, and repetitive, just like the work he had hoped to avoid when he left home. He finished up, though. The boars got their slop, the squirrels their nuts, rabbits and squirrels their greens, wolves and bears got their rabbits, squirrels, and deer. Circle of life. At the end of the long day, the kid sat down in the shade. The troll lumbered out of his house and took a seat next to the kid. He saw all the stalls and cages and pens cleaned up and the animals fed. He slapped the young man on the back. You done good, kid. You done good. So I have to do that every day, the kid asked. At least at the end of the three years, he would have enough money to go anywhere and do anything, even if this work was so much worse than the work he left at home. The troll laughed. No, they don't get to eat like that every day. They would eat again in a while. In the meantime, the kid could play. The kid looked up at the troll with a cocked eyebrow. Play, he was getting paid to play? The troll smiled. Yeah, go play in the woods. Did the kid need help figuring out what to do? He's just run around and play tag. Here, the kid cocked an eyebrow as the troll seemed to start saying gibberish and waving his hands around in the air. And then halfway through, the troll seemed to be yelling it. The kid screamed and covered his ears and noticed two things. His scream was more of a high-pitched shriek now, and his ears were no longer at the sides of his head. His paws flew up, and he found his ears sticking out above him. He 
have been turned into a hare. The troll chuckled. There you go, little guy. Run around the forest. Have fun. The rabbit looked up at the troll. The troll gestured out to the forest and then rolled his eyes. Wow. The boy was such a workaholic that the giant had to force him to take a day off. (laughs) There better be a world's best boss mug in his future. All right. Here you go, kid. Just then, an arrow lodged into the ground in front of the boy, who, remember, was in the form of a hare. Shouts went up from the edge of the clearing. Hunters, and they had just spotted the only living creature in the forest. The rabbit looked up at the troll, panicked, but the creature only shrugged. Oh, they can't see me. Another arrow stuck in the ground about a foot from the rabbit. The hunters were pretty rusty on account of not being able to hunt any animals over the past several years because the troll had them all tied up behind his mansion. The rabbit saw the hunters begin to knock another arrow. Yeah, you should probably get going, the troll said. The boy took off, and the hunters went after him. If the boy was being honest with himself, the year he spent as a rabbit was, at first, completely and utterly terrifying. He had rabbit instincts, so he knew kind of what to eat, and he felt like bolting at absolutely every noise that he heard all the time. He also learned about coprophagia. He resisted the urge to eat his own nightly poop, but when he got sick for not eating it, he decided to indulge. The human part of him found it repulsive, but the rabbit part of him was healthy. So he could live with it. And, of course, the original doesn't mention this, but that is something that rabbits do. And we strive for accuracy and realism on this podcast. So, the protagonist ate his own rabbit poop. I posted a link to an article on the matter in the show notes. Like I said, at first he found his year as a rabbit completely terrifying. But then he started to enjoy it. As the only animal the humans knew about in the forest, killing him became something of a point of pride for the humans. And yeah, it was hard at first, to be a rabbit, but soon the boy grew to enjoy outrunning the hunters, and the legend of the uncatchable rabbit grew. Then, one day, while nibbling on some plants, by the way, I've only had a rabbit as a pet once for a day in my life, so my complete knowledge of their behavior is them running, eating plants, and pooping, but I don't think that's far off in terms of an exhaustive list of their daily activities. Anyway, one day, while not being actively hunted, the rabbit froze and he felt a sort of draw. A voice, speaking in a language he didn't understand. It was like a slow drone. It felt like instinct, but deeper, darker. He had no choice but to put one paw after another, and walk, once again, to the center of the forest. When he stood, still mesmerized before the troll, the troll relaxed, lowered his hands, and stopped his low chants. The rabbit shook his head and realized where he was. The troll started again with a different chanting. This time, it was more distinct, and the rabbit, clear-eyed, could make out every word as his ears shrank and his hair fell out. His adorable little nose elongated into a not-unadorable human nose. It's hard to compete with a bunny. His body shed the fur, and his fingers elongated. He was himself again. He was human. The troll stood grinning. Then his smile faded. Wait, 
wasn't the little guy going to run screaming into the forest after spending a year as one of the most vulnerable prey animals? What? the boy asked. Standing to his feet. That was a vacation, right? That was what the troll had said. Now he was ready to get to work. Besides, if he gave up now, then he'd be in breach of contract. And the troll would get, quote, dangerous, right? The troll laughed. That's a question for the attorneys. He didn't need to worry about it, though. Because, like he said, he was sticking around. Good for him. All right. Next task. The boy stopped the troll, though. There was one thing. His payment. He had done everything the troll asked. It had been a year to the day since he had started employment with the troll. He wanted his entire two bushels of gold. The troll was smiling with his mouth. His eyes were looking in terror. No one had ever gotten this far. They had always run away screaming when he turned them back from a rabbit or mouse or squirrel. And then he could legally turn them into a fine paste with his club. He nodded. Absolutely. He would get the boy his gold in a few days. He just had to, you know, move some money around into different accounts and... No. Now, the boy said. It was part of their agreement. He wanted his first two bushels of gold. The troll sneered, waving his hands around, and two baskets were beside the boy, filled with gold. The boy thanked the troll and started to walk away. The troll pointed to the basket. Wasn't the boy going to count it? See if it was real? The boy shrugged. Why? He trusted the troll. We'll see what happens on the kids next year of work, but that will be right after this. first day of the second year of work was a lot like the first day of the first year of work. It started out with the boy feeding the animals of the forest, who were still tied up, penned, or caged, and I guess only got fed once a year. The boy, after spending a year as a rabbit, could understand them a little better now. They were miserable. They needed to be free. When the job was done, the boy went to the troll, put down the bucket, and stretched out his arms. What are you doing? The troll asked. The boy said he was getting ready to be transformed into an animal. Come on. The troll cocked an eyebrow. Uh, bold of the kid to assume he was going to be transformed into an animal. The kid asked if the troll was going to do something different. No, no, that was kind of his thing. It was just weird that the kid was into it. The troll shook his head. The kid was taking all the fun out of it. The troll did his low, rumbling chanting and the process was less jarring this time. It was more itchy, with feathers sprouting from his skin, as opposed to fur, and his nose and lips hardening to turn into a beak, but soon, the boy was strutting around on the ground. He heard the familiar shouts of hunters, and instead of resisting the instincts, like he did as a rabbit for weeks, he relaxed and let them wash over him. In a few seconds, he was flapping, hovering in the air, and a few more, he was soaring. At the end of that year, the boy felt the inexorable pull back to the troll's house. Again, he didn't resist it, and soon, he was back. Well, 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 how'd you like being a raven this time? The troll laughed. 
The boy asked, was, was he serious right now? It was awesome. Like, the rabbit was good, but the raven was next level. I mean, he got to fly. So much better. There were hunters, sure, but he was a bird with the intelligence of a human, and they had bows and arrows. The sky? Turns out it was a big place. The troll got a little pouty. Well, you didn't have to rub it in. The boy said two things. First, the dude was trying to kill him, so he felt like he didn't need to protect the big guy's feelings. Uh, Second, where's my money, man? The troll grumbled, producing a third and fourth bushel of gold. He dropped them before the kid, who dragged them to his room. The next day, the kid was back at his old job, giving all the animals of the forest their yearly feeding. He had prepared himself this time. He was standing by the river that flowed near the troll's mansion, and the troll, in his low rumble, transformed the young man into that year's animal. Even when he was a rabbit, the young man didn't feel the level of panic that he experienced on that day. Slits grew from his neck, blooming like a pink and white flower. He shrank and flopped. He was a fish, and he was suffocating. Mouth gaping and eyes, well, fish-like. Fish don't have eyelids, so they're always wide. But this kid's would have been wide for two reasons. He flailed, jerking his body and trying to leap to the water. The troll smiled at first, but he was ultimately disappointed when the fish made it to the river. The boy felt the cool water rush over him and shot off. It was better than being a rabbit through the land or a raven in the air, because both are still bound by gravity. The boy was weightless and free, gulping big mouthfuls of water and darting all around. It was kind of magnificent. He swam for days, eluding fishing hooks and nets. That was probably the easiest. Turns out the way to survive as a fish was to not actively try to die. I mean, there were other fish in the sea and other creatures trying to eat him. Sure, but the sea, like the sky, is a big place. And the kid was smarter than a normal fish. Not a high bar to clear, sure, but he sailed over it. He was fine. As he explored the depths of the sea, he found something twinkling far below, where there shouldn't have been any light at all. He made no facial expression whatsoever, because fish can't do that, and swam deeper to investigate. There, on the ocean floor, was a crystal palace. Light radiated out from it, so the fish could see into it. All the furniture was of white ivory, which, sad, and was inlaid with gold and pearls. There were rainbow rugs and beautiful carpets that looked, quote, like the finest moss. Fountains sprung up, which is less impressive than on land, because with any crack in the side of the house, you'll have fountains springing up. But despite the alleged beauty of the elephant tusk furniture and thick shag moss carpet, that beauty was eclipsed by the girl that roamed from room to room in sadness. The boy darted up to the pool underneath the crystal house, where he could poke his little fish head up. Then he decided to try something. You see, the boy had been paying attention every year when he went back to the troll's mansion. He had only heard the chant to change him back into a human twice, but thought his life might literally depend on it. So he had been paying attention. Being a rabbit or bird or something that is traditionally capable of making noises would have been a lot easier. But over the months he spent traversing the oceans, he had been practicing apparently, and this is true, fish can make noises by oscillating their swim bladder or by rubbing the bones where their fins attach to their bodies. I'm not sure how possible it is to reproduce complex humanoid speech with what is the equivalent to a fish gill violin, 
but I think I might be diving a little too deep into the realism of a story where a troll turns a kid into a fish. Regardless, the girl in the Crystal Palace under the sea heard a gasp in the room with the pool and came running. There, she found a young man who, after Fish Gill violining his way back into his human form, was nearly crushed by the pressure of the sea. She was a little scared at first. I mean, he was a strange man who just showed up at her house. And the story does spend some time communicating just how little she trusted him. But he, quote, spoke kindly to her and won her over. And she was happy to have some company in her captivity. And yes, captivity. I mean, that shouldn't come as a surprise because she lived in a dark glass home on the ocean floor. That's why real estate is so cheap down there. No one wants to be there. I mean, ships are always trying to avoid it to varying degrees of success. Anyway, the young man was surprised that he was surprised by the identity of her captor, the troll. He was her father. And as her medieval father, he was strangely obsessed with his daughter's love life and he was trying to keep his daughter from meeting somebody and getting married. And he might have gotten away with it too, had the kid not learned to reproduce human speech as a fish and somehow found a house on the ocean floor. Can't really blame the troll for not preparing for that one. Anyway, the pair fell in love, but like social media and patents, they had a troll problem. And they weren't alone. Apparently this troll was something of a mob boss, he loaned money to all the kings of the region at exorbitant rates, and each feared his reprisal. The young man thought about the swanky mansion. Made sense now. Then he asked why the kings didn't just, like, send an army if they didn't want to pay the troll back. The girl asked what made the young man think that no one had tried that before. The boy swallowed hard. Duly noted. The daughter continued. Anywho, the payment was coming due for one king in particular and it was a very literal money-or-his-life situation, because if the troll let one king off, or let them skip a payment or something, it didn't bode well for his reputation with the others. The boy shrugged, okay, I mean, no one really made the kings take out more than they could pay back, and, and he was raised a peasant, so he wasn't exactly sympathetic to the plight of a king who spent too much money. Wait, he owed six bushels of gold? The boy asked the troll's daughter, Seriously? Was that what she was asking? What did he look like to her? A fool? The daughter smiled. Well, actually, yes. Yes, he did. How'd you like being a fish? The troll asked the young man when he returned to shore and the troll transformed him back into a human. The boy, who had only barely remembered the spell to change back into a fish so he could change back into a human, smiled. It was life-changing. The troll carted out all six bushels of the youth's money, presenting it to the kid. And then, he brought out another six bushels. The kid cocked an eyebrow. Uh, what, what was all this? The troll said, One year and the kid could double his money. The kid shook his head. Sorry, boss. He had places to be. The troll shrugged. All right. The kid was free to go. He even got to keep the wagon. Thanks for all the hard work. The boy said, Just like that? The troll wasn't going to try to kill him or something? The troll scoffed. Kill him? 
Whoa, he thought they had a good thing going. Where was all this kill him talk coming from? They had a contract, and the troll respected that. You don't recruit and retain good employees by treating them like dirt, and definitely not by killing them. The troll said that the door was always open if the kid wanted to come back, clean some kennels, and maybe have some life-threatening adventures as an animal. The kid thanked the troll, and the two parted ways. The kid carting off his actual king's ransom. So, you're lending me the money so the troll doesn't kill me, but where did you get that type of money? The king asked his new stable hand. Slash lender. Oh, so you're going to be like that, emphasizing you in that sentence, the boy asked. If the king was going to be all judgy, the boy could go elsewhere with the money that was going to save his life. The king held up his hands. Whoa, whoa, nope, nope. He didn't care where it came from. He needed it. Please. The boy lent it to him at a slightly lower APR than the troll, with one other condition. The boy wanted to come with. The king said he was visiting a dangerous troll. Why? The boy said he wanted to run before the king as his fool. He would cause some trouble, and at worst the king would get a brief talking to. But the fool would answer for it, and nothing bad would happen to the king. The king said that that didn't sound smart or good, The boy started to walk away. Guess the king didn't want his money then. The king caught the boy. All right, all right, yes, he wanted the money. Let's do this. As long as no harm would come to him. The kid smiled. He promised. No harm would come to the king. Smash cut to the king, kneeling on a very sticky crimson block with the troll's club raised above his head. In front of the troll's castle, his debt had been paid but because of the actions of his fool, he would be put to death. Unless someone answered three questions posed by the troll, the fool interjected. The troll's club relaxed. This fool and his helpful knowledge of the fine print of the troll and king's agreement, this kid looked really familiar. The kid shrugged. He just had one of those faces, he guessed. You see, the troll, with his magic, moved his house from the forest to the top of a mountain, and it was no longer a tasteful log mansion, but a glass palace. As they approached, the fool went nuts on the thing, smashing everything he could, and since it was glass, that was a lot of things. The king had to pay to repair it, but because his six bushels went toward paying off his debt, he didn't have any extra cash on him. It was in his agreement with the troll that, should he answer three questions, his debt would be wiped out. The troll didn't know how the fool knew that, but he was nothing if not a murderous, bloodthirsty troll of his word. Sure, three questions. I'll answer them, the fool said, and the troll said that this was good. Should go quickly. All right, the first question. Where is the troll's daughter? The fool, aka the young man, put his hands on his hips. Well, someone would probably think that the troll's daughter lives with him, because that's pretty normal for this time period. The troll smirked. This would go fast. But I'm going to go with a glass palace at the bottom of the sea. Final answer. The smile dropped from the troll's face. But the creature quickly recovered. And did the young man think he could pick the daughter out? The kid shrugged. Sure, bring her forward. I don't know how they didn't see the crowd of young women coming. The house was glass. But one by one, 
the young woman stepped in front of the kid and interacted with him in some way. Some smiled, some turned up their nose, some touched his face, but none of the women looked like the, looked like the one he had met under the sea. But he knew that would be the case. They had planned for that. She was the last one. She looked into his eyes, held his hand, and gave his wrist a light, three-finger squeeze. It's her, the young man blurted immediately and grabbed the smiling young woman around the waist. The troll glowered. So it was. He didn't miss a beat. Third question, where is my heart? The boy looked back from the daughter's eyes. That's an easy one. It is in a fish. The troll was serious now. He pointed down to the stream, the one where he had dumped the young man as a fish, not long ago. Would you know that fish? He asked. The group went down to the stream, where the fish swam by, darting in the current. So, I'm just going to come right out and say it. If you're an evil troll mob boss listening to this podcast, and you've gone to the effort to put your last horcrux in a fish, so that you're effectively immortal, and a King Lear-style fool comes along, seeming to know way more than his motley attire would suggest, maybe don't lead him directly to your soul in a fish. Once again, not an evil troll sorcerer mob boss, so I can't speak to this particular oversight, but it was an oversight. When the fish that housed the droll troll's whole soul swam by, the boy felt a nudge on his foot from the daughter standing behind him, and he didn't reach for the fish or point to it. Instead, in one seamless motion, he drew his dagger and stabbed. The troll cried out, gripping his chest, and the forest shook around them. Cracks formed and grew in his green-blue skin, separating out until the skin, fingers, eyes, and face were no longer visible. The troll crumbled into a pile of chipped flint stones. Did I get it right, troll? The young man yelled at the pile of flint. Hello, troll? The young man shook his head in indignation. Rude. The young woman hugged the boy, and he dropped the knife hugging her back, down in the valley, where the boy had stayed, probably three nights in the past three years, a cloud of birds exploded from the trees. There was a rumble, and a crash of deer escaping off into the forest, fleeing the wolves and bears that had been held there too. Squirrels, rabbits, snakes, and mice disappeared into the thick forest floor, and everything ran wild and free, after being held by the troll for so long, for some reason. The king there slow-clapped. Well, well, well. Hero's journey. The boy left his home seeking his fortune, rescued the maiden, and ended up defeating the monster. Everything was all buttoned up here. The king tipped his hat. Seeing as his debt was paid, he would be off. Congratulations. Enjoy your forest and broken castle or whatever. The boy just stood there. But the daughter stepped forward. Uh... Not so fast? The king laughed. Excuse you? I'm sorry, who are you again? And why are you giving me orders? She said that she was the troll's daughter, and he didn't rescue her. She was the mastermind behind this whole plan. And oh yeah, along with the boy here, the one who held his debt. The king said, oh, that, that was cute. Uh, but no, though, he would be leaving. They were just kids, and what were they gonna do? The girl smiled. Yes. They were just kids. They were kids that did what the king and several kings couldn't. They were kids who had access to the magic the troll left behind. 
Did the king want to find out what sort of fun magic she could do as the troll's daughter? The king began to study his surroundings with fear. Here he was, in the middle of the forest, with two kids who had killed a troll. As the king took stock of his situation, the boy turned to the young woman. She, wait, she could do magic? Not even a little, she said. It's called a bluff. Try to keep up. All right, here's my offer, the king said, turning back to the kids. For them wiping out his debt, he would help them collect from the others, from the other kings that owed the troll money, and I guess thus the troll's daughter now. He would tell stories of their prowess and magic, and he would salute them as his emperor and empress, and ensure the others did as well. The boy was awestruck, but the daughter stuck out her hand. They had a deal. And that's how the story ended. It ended up being something of a traditional fairy tale after all. But instead of the kids just becoming royalty based on marriage or birth, they plotted their way in, turned a troll to stone, and became emperor and empress. That's it for that story. I expanded a little bit on the end there, where the kids became emperor and empress, because the story just says that all the kings saluted them as emperor and empress, and I found that just a little hard to believe. Next up, why you shouldn't kidnap mermen. But that will be right after this quick break. Hey, you let me go, the merman said as he struggled against the net. No, you're going to give me awesome stuff and wisdom and junk, the fisherman said as he dragged the merman, a half man, half seal, measuring about three foot four, onto the shore. Oh, you want wisdom? The merman sneered. He'd give the fisherman some wisdom. Don't kidnap mythological creatures. That one was free. He started gnawing at the ropes, but the fisherman kicked him until he stopped. Hey, hon, the fisherman heard from behind him. He turned to see his beautiful wife walking back from town. The fisherman tied off the net so the merman couldn't shimmy out of it and then turned to his wife. It was nice to see her, but why was she in town? She answered his question with kind of a lot of kissing. Like they were husband and wife, but it was still kind of a lot for an audience. The man's dog rushed up to him while things were getting a little hot and heavy, interrupting the proceedings. The man turned with a grumble, kicking the dog hard in the side. The dog whimpered and limped off. The wife took the opportunity of her husband full-on kicking a puppy to break away. The husband said he wanted to get back to what they were doing. She smiled and, with a wink, said maybe later she would see him at home. He kicked the dog again for good measure, and the merman laughed. The man said, oh, that was funny to him? Puppies getting kicked? That's messed up. The merman stopped laughing, more messed up than being the one kicking a dog. Now, he wasn't laughing at that. He was laughing, frankly, at the fisherman's foolishness. <sighs> yeah, well, no one asked you, the fisherman said, hefting the merman into the net on his back and starting to walk home. The merman didn't point out that the fisherman literally just asked him what he was laughing at. On his way home, 
the fisherman stumbled on a tussock in a field. He was so angry about the merman being difficult, things getting interrupted with his wife, and the dog that wouldn't leave him alone, that he just stood screaming curses at the tuft of grass that always tripped him. The merman, again, laughed. The farmer demanded to know why he was laughing. The merman replied that they were walking through a field. There were nearly infinite paths through the field that didn't involve the tussock, but he chose the one path that would trip him up. A sharp knee to the bag stopped the merman's laughter. Three days later, the merman watched the fisherman. He was picking out shoes. So glad he had been captured and taken away from his home for this. The fisherman explained to the merman, like the merman cared at all, that he always had a difficult time finding reliable shoes. He was never able to pick out boots with soles as thick as he wanted. The merman nodded from the basin of water he had been plopped into. He always said it was clever men that made the biggest fools. But the fisherman was forcing him to rethink that statement. The fisherman shot him a dirty glance and raised his hand as a warning, and the merman stopped talking. And not just in that instance. The merman went complete radio silence, refusing to even speak to the fisherman unless he was taken out to the sea and balanced on the blade of an oar. Of course, the fisherman put a leash on him so he didn't jump. There, he would answer all the fisherman's questions. Far from wanting to know the answer to life, the universe, and everything, the fisherman's questions were about fish. What gear a fisherman should use if they wanted a good catch? The merman spouted off maybe a lot of nonsense. He said that dented iron should be forged where one could hear both the river and the sea, and that the hooks should be tempered with the foam of tired horses. The fishing line should be made with a gray bull's sinews and the cord from raw horsehide. For bait, definitely use bird's gizzards, or, depending on where you're fishing, use human flesh. If he didn't catch anything with that, he was an elf. The fisherman groaned. Ugh. All right, you know what? They were done here. The merman won. The creature said he had told the truth. All he needed to be a successful fisherman was his own forge, multiple horses, a bull, birds, and a corpse. The fisherman started unlooping the leash. Yeah, all those were so easy to get. Hey, one more question, actually. Why did the merman laugh when his wife kissed him? He kicked the dog, he tripped over the tussock, and he bought boots. The merman was now free, balanced on the oar out of his own volition. Oh, absolutely. Well, for one... The fisherman's wife was cheating on him with a guy from town, and she wished her husband dead. She, he kissed. The dog loved the man more than life itself, and would die for him. He, the fisherman, kicked. The tussock, the tuft of grass the fisherman cursed, covers a treasure that's destined for the fisherman to find. Enough money for him to never have to worry about fishing again. And the boots where he was so concerned about the soles, those were going to last him for the rest of his life. The merman, knowing all that, knew what the fisherman's reaction would be. Confused and suspicious disbelief. He would shout curses at the merman and try to grab at him, punishing him. But he would still grab a shovel and head out to the field some days later. Knowing this, the merman didn't wait to see the fisherman's reaction. He dove into the water and took off for home. The merman wasn't wrong. The fisherman did shout curses and scan the water for the creature, but the merman had already fled into the depths. 
vowing to himself to be more careful about where he swam near shore. A few days later, when his wife was out again for some reason, the fisherman couldn't put the thought from his mind, and he grabbed a shovel and headed out to the tussock in the field. It wasn't even buried deep, the box of gold. He guessed it was some old Viking treasure that someone had hid during one of the many, 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 many blood feuds, and then everyone who knew about it died. The fisherman was rich. As the gold fell through his fingers, his smile faded. If the merman was right about this, out, the fisherman yelled to his wife, pointing to the door. She was home when he returned to the house. He said he knew about the man in town, and he wouldn't share his wealth with someone who would do that to him. Leave. Now. The wife said she didn't know what the husband thought he knew, but she paused. He wouldn't even listen. He just pointed to the door. She sneered. Fine. But he would regret this. And he did. She returned. Almost immediately. With that man from town. When that man attacked, the fisherman called on his trusty dog to help him, to defend him, but the animal only cowered from the one who beat him. The fisherman died, and the merman's final prophecy was correct. The shoes that he had haggled over had lasted him for the rest of his life. That's it for the stories this week. According to this story and some other places, I guess there's a saying in Iceland of, then the merman laughed. And this story is apparently the origin of that saying. I can't seem to find an authoritative meaning of that phrase. But one place said it was something people say when someone's being foolish. If that's not the meaning, or if this is not a saying at all, I know we have quite a few listeners from Iceland, please let me know, and I'll update the post on the site. Next week, we're diving into Korean folklore and we'll see why you should share the stories you hear and not shove them into a sack to suffocate and become ghosts. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of clawed gardening gloves, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, won't make you the Black Panther of gardening. And seriously, check it out. They, they look like Black Panther gloves. There's a link in the show notes. But if you'd like to support the show, check out support.mythpodcast.com. Creature this week is the Yaitso. From Navajo folklore, if you're wondering what happens when a woman and a pet rock love each other very much, well, the Yaitso is what happened. It was stony, scaly, and covered in valuable minerals. He held a basket that contained lightning bolts that he would use to torment humanity, and the famous trickster, Coyote, ever the opportunist, was his messenger. He was prophesied to be slain by hero twins. Naya Nazgani, and Tubad Zitsini, a.k.a. the, quote, slayer of alien gods. We've touched on one of them before, but once again, that is such a metal job title. So, the Aizo made the smart, albeit evil choice, to try to kill them when they were kids, before they were grown, and a threat. He found their home, Terminator 2 style, and found footprints outside the mother's house. Demanding to know the location of the kids, she sighed. 
she said that she was so lonely that sometimes she made footprints outside to help her feel like she just had a bunch of friends over. She knelt down into the dirt and made the tiny prints with her hands. Instead of going full Terminator 1 on her, the Yaitso just felt bad for her and left. Both Yaitso and the twins grew. The former, until his strides were the length that a person could walk from dawn to noon. When it comes to wrapping up the story, they went full massive monster fight, Marvel movie ending. The two hero twins, the slayers of alien gods, as at least one of them is called, rode rainbows into battle with their dad by their side. They used their own chain lightning to attack the basket containing the lightning bolts that the monster had, and that triggered a chain reaction that reduced the rock monster to pebbles. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>